Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you love Michael Jordan's The Last Dance, get ready to watch Tom Brady's version on ESPN. The network's going to present a nine-part documentary series called Man in the Arena, Tom Brady. That's going to air in 2021. We'll talk about that. And we've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. We've talked about this. We, I think we all predicted this, Steve, on this podcast. For we several weeks about now. Michael Jordan's. Yeah, yeah for several we weeks. About, yeah. And I think they, they stole the idea, clearly. And now ESPN is going to do it because we pretty much demanded this. And that is after the last dance with Michael Jordan. Well, this is Tom Brady's last dance. We can't call it that, but that's what it is. And so ESPN, in their infinite wisdom, is going to do a nine-part series. By the way, if if Jordan's was a ten-part series, and Brady is a nine, does that mean that Brady's lesser of an icon than Michael Jordan? They both won six championships. I'm just asking. So anyway, it's a nine-part well, series. It, it could be seven by the time the series airs, though. Good point. And that, and they, if it's seven, they have to make it at least a ten or eleven part series, don't they? I would think to add two. Yes, I'm surprised that they know how many. I mean, a lot of it's background, obviously, but I'm still surprised they know how many parts is going to be in it. At any rate, um, "Man in the Arena," which is a uh, Theodore Roosevelt speech, I believe mm-hmm. that that Tom Brady has quoted before. It's been posted in the Michigan locker room, or it was when Brady was there. And he yes, said he refers to it quite often. Right, and it's about it, – I'll summarize it because, you know, that's what I do is summarize speeches by great presidents. But it's basically, you know, you either put yourself out there or you don't. There's a lot of people who kind of sit on the sidelines for more or less uh, – this is kind of the analogy, but, you know, they don't attempt anything. And if you don't attempt anything, you neither fail nor succeed, but you also don't have the experience of either. And – those who achieve, believe me, they're going to fail, but they're also going to, you know, try to live a little bit, you know, and, and let the chips fall where they may, but they're attempting something. So that, that's sort of what it was about. And, you know, Brady, everybody knows his story by now, I would think. I mean, and he, he did a pretty good job of explaining his own story when he did Tom versus Time a couple of years ago. And Tom wins. Spoiler alert. But, you know, that was on Facebook, uh, one of the Facebook platforms, and now ESPN is doing much like they did with Michael Jordan, this one. I would assume, Steve, that this will include what occurs this year. Otherwise, it could air it now, but what what occurs this year with the Bucks? i got to believe that there's going to be camera crews following him around this year. I would think so, and, and, and I kind of got the impression that maybe camera crews have been following him around maybe last year or the year before that even. No, I think you're right. You know? I mean, yeah, they would have to have stuff from this year, particularly if Brady, say, goes to wins the Super Bowl or makes it to the Super oh, yeah. Bowl, or, or even if it, well, the, you know the season turns out to be nothing like they hoped, and and it's, yeah, it's bad. It's I mean, it's all wreck. part of the story. So, but but even if that happens, you can bet that if it's a nine part episode and they have and they just are terrible this year, 
eight parts of it will be maybe eight and a half will be of him winning six Super Bowls with New England because they'll just be it'd be like the what they the way they treated the Wizards and the Michael Michael Jordan. Um, wait, wait, Jordan played for the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, they didn't mention. I didn't know it that ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, the story ends with the last shot. It yeah. does not mention that he came back and plays. Yeah. Michael it goes Sports Center done some Jordan stuff on retired. that afterwards, but yeah, the documentary had nothing. Documentary ends with the last shot, and like he never like that. You know how you get these movies back in the day? They used to have the alternative endings, mm-hmm. and you could choose which ending you liked. Like I saw that one time with Training Day. You know, like in Training Day, um, you know the rookie cop goes home and. I don't know. I think you hear that Alonzo's been killed, you know, uh, in a hail of bullets. And another one, he goes home and he's been indicted. <laughs> so, <laughs> and one of them, and one of them, he leaves, lives, and one of them, he's just going to jail. When I remember as a kid, we had those books where you, you know, choose, choose your own way through the book, and you know, go to this mm-hmm. page if you want this to happen, or this page if you want this. Yeah, it's kind of the way life is. Yeah. Except you can't, you can't go back in the book. You can't, you can't go to the back first chapter again. Anyway, um, I think this is going to be fascinating. We we know his story. I mean, you know, cut cut or not cut, but and that was Michael Jordan. But um, the backup freshman quarterback on a team that won zero games, um, you know, started his last two years of high school, gets a scholarship to Michigan, seventh on the depth chart, works his way up. Uh, you know, Drew Henson, all of that. Uh, you know, starts two years, has a good college career, thinks he's going to get drafted, goes one ninety nine, sixth round. Ends up, uh, you know, being the fourth on the depth chart at New England behind Drew Bledsoe. And then the rest, they say, is history. You know, 20 seasons in New England, nine Super Bowls, six wins. I mean, it's an incredible story uh, about his perseverance and focus and, you know, all of those things that we've kind of experienced, but then we experienced it with Jordan. It's just Jordan was a, long, it was a lot later, you know, I mean, a lot earlier ago than and Brady's is still still transpiring right now, so that part's interesting. But yeah, uh, the next the next big thing, Tom Brady's last dance called "Man in the Arena." Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So before we get to your uh, mailbag questions, just a couple other notes of interest here. Brent Honeywell. Boy, I tell you. Ooh. Man, there are some guys that do nothing wrong and don't get any luck. If they if they had any luck, it would be bad luck. That's Brent Honeywell. Remember we talked to him again. This is the second year. Maybe we need to stop doing this, by the way. Second year we talked to Brent Honeywell at FanFest, Ray's FanFest, which seems like 100 years ago. It was in March uh, or late February. And um, he was coming off Tommy John surgery, really optimistic. I think at that time he had started to throw a little bit, long toss or some kind of toss. Anyway, he's had a setback. He had another surgery, and it looks like that we're talking about another year lost. Yeah, it looks like he may not be pitching again until 2021, Ugh. and that's just, just – take the window. And, and here's the, the, the other thing that you feel bad for him is because he hadn't played in a big league game yet. He's still on minor league deal. 
minor league. So he's not really getting any money. No, no. I mean, it's you know, unlike and the like, miners like aren't. Jose they're not De even Leon, playing, right? Or as uh, you know, Anthony Bondo had the the uh, uh, Tommy John, and and when Jose De Leon were hurt and stuff, they had played in the big league, so they were getting big league service time, et cetera, while they're hurt. Brent so Hunt he's not earning not. service time and. I don't know what they're doing for the minor league players, but without minor league baseball, which is a, a given, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Those guys aren't probably aren't getting paid, right? Well, he's on the forty man roster, so he would be different in that regard. Oh, he is okay. I, I'm pretty sure he's on the forty man. So yeah, that he's he's yeah. treated differently. So that's thank goodness. Yeah, for that part, but I feel yeah, so just, bad for him though. Oh, and you know, I mean, we know what a prospect he is and and we saw the arm in the futures game and others but yeah man you know it's like he was supposed to be up here last season and then this year and now it's for least, sure this now year it sounds yeah. like at least next year and then that's now you're going could he come back at all i mean that's kind of what yeah. you're thinking i mean that's not a medical prognosis that's just diagnosis, me going man yeah. you know this keeps happening over and over to him well it, it's uh you know <laughs> for guys that have had injuries and in, my experience is mostly in the NFL with uh, with respect to covering teams. Um, for better or worse, I played the game, but I, I mean, you know, guys that have injuries like ACLs, if they get more than one, if they have shoulder surgeries or more than one, it 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 you know literally takes a dent out of you. But but also mentally, it, it's a you know once you've climbed Kilimanjaro and then you go back down to the bottom and then they tell you you got to do it again right now. It's not an easy thing, and you know I I don't know I I don't know how you, you would be with respect to understanding you're going under the knife again, and then you're looking at starting over, like starting over um, to some degree, you know, working your way, letting it heal, then you know back with a sock and the whole. It it just I you know it's such a challenge that you know talk about loving the game or not wanting to quit. Brent Honeywell would have to be that guy. And and if you talk to Brent Honeywell, the interesting thing about him, in addition to the talent he has, which was immense and hopefully still will be, his makeup, <laughs> it could not be better. This is the mo- one of the most confident human beings I have ever spoken with. I mean, just at an age when guys are usually a little bit, hey, let me get used to my surroundings before I predict you know, excellence. No, not Brent. You know, Brent Brent is ready to go out there and dominate today. And that's just who he is. And and maybe that confidence will help him overcome or has helped him overcome these injuries. Um, but man, it's just it's such an unfair thing. You know, there's nothing he's done wrong. His arm just, you know, in physiology won't let him go overcome this, but boy, that's tough for him. Also, um, speaking of tough, USF, Joey Knight had the story about this. They're looking at a potential of a 15% cutback in their athletic budget, which translated means there's going to be some athletes at USF that aren't going to get to be playing their sports this year, and that's terrible. Yeah, and that's assuming football comes back. Football, Correct. If football doesn't play this year, then it's a lot worse for schools everywhere. I mean, we're seeing a lot of schools cut programs. It's happening e- now. ECU just cut, I think um, – Swimming and diving and men's yep. and women's tennis. Cincinnati mm-hmm. cut men's soccer. Bowling Green cut baseball. Akron, I think, cut baseball uh, and other sports. And, you're, you know, you're yep. starting to see colleges come out and, and making these cuts in addition to even some coaches' reduction salaries and, and things like that. But, yeah, Michael Kelly, USF has not done anything yet, but they're looking at a 15% cut, you know, assuming football comes back. Uh, it's just awful. And, you know, 
these athletes that play these other sports, you know, what we call the minor or non-revenue producing sports, work every bit as hard as, mm-hmm. as football. And, and yet, you know, like most athletic departments, the football carries the freight. Um, some 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 programs, maybe basketball contributes to that as well. But um, it's, you know, we've already watched the seniors in high school have to go through this where they couldn't play. To be at a university and be a scholarship athlete and then find out that, your sport is being eliminated, and and there's fewer, you know, as as this happens across the country, of course, there's going to be fewer fewer programs for those sports, right? If they exist at all, mm-hmm. um, and and there's going to be a lot of people competing for those spots. So, I mean, I think I said it on this podcast. If not for my senior year, I may not go to college. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I got an opportunity to play, and if I hadn't played my senior year and had a good, a really good year, and got me to St. Pete College for a couple of years, and then on to Arkansas State. Yep. Uh, it may not have happened. So hopefully – Think about know. some of these spring sports too when you talk about mm-hmm. soccer and tennis and, and some of the you know, baseball. They yeah. didn't have a season this year. So right. players, even the seniors, can come back this year. You've got freshmen coming in. But now you've right. got programs being eliminated, which means those players can transfer immediately elsewhere. But there's already a log jam at, at schools else. because they're seniors that they didn't expect to have – coming back or coming back potentially right with the right. incoming freshman and everything else and now you've got mm-hmm. you've got other athletes looking for places to transfer that's uh, right because their school eliminated their sport and it's you know that's that's a that's a tough spot for a lot of these kids i mean kids mm-hmm. that thought they had spots at this school or we're going to do this mm-hmm. all of a sudden aren't now because a transfer comes in or a senior's coming back and i mean it's just it's tough for all these athletes uh, it's a double whammy. It really is. It's really hard. And then uh, finally, as we wrap up these notes before we get to the questions, um, I hate to say this, the Glazers are going to wind up losing uh, Brady. Well, they're going to lose $24 million, which was basically Brady's salary. Brady's still here. But Man U is going to lose $24 million. Yeah, they've got to give refunds to the broadcasters for the suspension of the Premier League. Um, and it's all based on how many games were carried live and what place they're in. They're in fifth place currently. Um, but it looks good. like they might they have to refund $24 million. Even if the season resumes, they're going to have to to pay the broadcasters back some money. So, Yeah, that's a tough blow for them. But, uh, again, Tom Brady makes $25 million, so um, you lose 24 here, pay 25 there. Was it forty nine million dollars swing? We don't know how much jersey but, sales we've got. We know Brady's got what five of the top ten jerseys being sold right now. Five of the, the top, top, five of the top ten. The tickets are restricted now to just the three hundred level, and I think they're even holding those back. Um, and you know, it's going to be. I mean, they're they're going to they're going to make this back and then some with one signing of of Thomas Brady. But yeah, that's. Uh, that's that's not good. <laughs> Twenty. Hey, what'd you how'd they go today? Well, I lost twenty four million. Uh, just, just a couple million there between friends. However, I think their total worth, and this is like not cash on hand necessarily, but their, I believe their franchises combined are worth well in excess of four and almost four and a half billion. That's with a B, four and a half billion dollars. And I don't remember what they paid for Man U, but I do remember the hundred ninety three million they paid for this franchise, and it's worth about two. So billion so that's that's pretty good return on investment right there all right well let's get to uh i got lots of good questions in the mailbag segment always popular i will answer these 100 percent correctly do not debate me on them let's go well glazers out asked what do you think is the plan for oj howard 
Is trading him still on the table at this point? And did the team lose or gain leverage by signing Rob Gronkowski? Great question. Um, the plan right now, and this is professional sports, but the plan right now is for O.J. Howard to not only be on this team but be a big part of it. You know, they did they try to trade him a year ago? They probably listened to offers. Did they try to trade him in the offseason? Again, yes, listen to offers. They merely couldn't get what they thought was fair value. Now, you know, O.J. Howard is set to be a, a free agent or would have been set to be a free agent they did pick up his fifth-year option. Now, it's guaranteed only against injury, um, but they're willing to roll the dice a little bit on, on the of him maybe getting a, a catastrophic injury and guaranteeing him. It's around $6 million or so, $6.5 million. So that's not an incredible amount of money when you look at the, the total uh, salary cap and that sort of thing. I think the plan, I think they believe, at least I've been told, that they believe that having Rob, Grunk, Rob Gronkowski will help Howard uh, especially with Brady, but will help him in general just start start to understand more about that position and, and where, it sit, where it fits within the football universe. Howard, from what I'm told, we know what his physical attributes are. They're off the chain. I mean, he's, you know, six foot, what, six or six foot five, 252 pounds, runs a four, five, two, 40, um, you know, and has all this ability, but he's not instinctive. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily react really quick to, um, you know, certain looks as a, as a protector or um, sometimes in, in coverage, the rotation. And Gronk's going to be able to help him with that. And, you know, the other thing they plan on doing because they have him is going with what we call 12 personnel, and that's two tight ends and one running back. And that was a formation that Brady thrived in um, for a year when they had Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. So, you know, the potential here is for Howard to have a great season. And if they – Utilize them, and I think they will because, remember, Brady is, in my mind, the de facto offensive coordinator now. Um, you know, If they use him and he trusts O.J. Howard, and it's all going to be about trust, then O.J. Howard will be here. If, for some reason, he trusts Brayton more or he doesn't trust O.J., then you could see a scenario where maybe they get to the, you know, the trading deadline. But, look, this team is all in, right? They're all in for the next two years, they hope maybe three. So you're not going to give away your best football players. I've always said this. Why would a team that hasn't won, right, and they think they're on the brink of winning, or in this case, the the window is closing with their quarterback, why would you then get rid of one of your best players unless you're getting something back that's so incredible that you need so desperately, uh, like a position player or, or something, why would you do it? You're doing it for the future? You know, the future's now. Keep your best players. There's got to be somebody on a 53-man roster that's worse than O.J. Howard if you need a roster spot. So unless somebody blows you away, and they're not going to because he has just one year left, you're better off You're better off keeping him. You know, there's a little thing called development, right, of a player. Coaching, heard of that? Let's develop the guy. Let's coach the guy and then figure out how to utilize the guy. I'm pretty sure that Brady will know. And I'm pretty sure that he's going to want him on the field. So that's my long-winded answer of saying, I don't think O.J. Howard's going anywhere this year. And I'm guessing that after Brady, his influence and Gronk's influence, he won't be going away next year either. Well, Tommy asks, does Rob Gronkowski play in all 16 games? Or do you think he might sit or play limited snaps throughout the season to save him for the playoffs? If we make it that far, I should say. Playoffs? Um, 
look, I think Gronkowski, if he can play 16 games and and it's not like if it's his choice, like it's not one of those deals like – because what's got him is injuries, okay? Mm-hmm. So assuming he, he's healthy enough to play 16, you're damn right he's going to play 16. He's not here to sit. He's not here to like be massaged through the season or, or to wait until the playoffs and hope hope that mm-hmm. he's fresh then. He's there to help get them there, you know? He's there to make plays now. I mean, he has a one-year contract. What are you saving him for? He's retired once, and he mm-hmm. came back, and he came back for you. So, I mean, that doesn't mean that he'll play 80% of the snaps or Well, that, that's the 70%. whole point with, with Cameron Brait and O.J. Howard. Yeah, you can that, spell the guy. Yeah, you, it's like a defensive line. You can have a rotation at that you know, the tight end position and save some no snaps for him. You because can. he is older in age and, and with the injury history. But, yeah, the, I you mean, can. your goal is never to go, hey, we're going to play him 12 games this year. I mean, you play him no. 16, but you can limit snaps. You can you can definitely do things to, to help him recover. He doesn't have to practice as much. He can, you know, he has the experience with Brady this many years. Um, but I will say this. No football coach. I don't care if you're talking about – for the moms and dads out there in podcast land, if your son – plays youth football i got news for you the best players are going to stay on that field as much as they may want to arrest him and as much as he could use a blow maybe they'll listen to him but at the end of the day they want their best players on the field so he's going to play a lot a whole lot more than they probably want to play him i just i just don't think you take those guys away off the off the field because how do you know which play is going to change the game i mean it all sounds good in theory and then you get in a dogfight against New Orleans, and guess what? You look up, and Rob Gronkowski's played 87% of the offensive snaps. So that's just kind of how it goes. Let's see how the games go. Listen, it would be a good problem to have to say, you know, can he make it through 16? That's the goal. But I don't know that you go into it saying, well, we're, we're going to keep him out of 50 snaps a day, a game. I, I just Or half the snaps, I'm sorry, 50%. I just don't think you can do that. All right, Chris asks, Heard a lot about how Tyler Johnson will be a plug-and-play player in the slot for the Bucks. After Chris Godwin was so successful in the slot last year, could you see Johnson playing outside more similar to Perryman? How big of an adjustment would a switch outside be for Chris Godwin? Well, Chris started outside. I mean, he didn't move to the slot till last year, mm-hmm. and he did a good job there. Um, one of the reasons why he was moved to the slot is that it reminded Bruce, he reminded Bruce Arians of Larry Fitzgerald. And Later in his career, Fitzgerald moved inside. But in, in Arian's offense, you know, we're used to seeing slot receivers like Julian Edelman, right, like uh, those guys, uh, Adam Humphreys. But in this offense, what Arians wants to do with those guys on occasion is use them in the run game and let them root out some linebackers for him. And you can't do that with the smaller body types, okay? So that's why he moved him to slot. Now, he started his career outside and did fine. We all remember the catch he made against New Orleans in the final game of the season, and Sean Payton wouldn't shake or heartily shaked, uh, you know, the coach's hand, Dirk Cutter's hand. I mean, he's big enough and physical enough to play outside, but he's also nimble enough and fast enough um, to, to play the slot. So I would expect him to play the slot a lot. As far as Tyler Johnson goes, he could also do either. I mean, Tyler Johnson is a special player, and, you know, Godwin can move outside, and if, if you know the goal is to get your three best players, you know your eleven best guys out there at all times, but you could see a scenario where Godwin and Mike Evans are outside, and then you got you got um, Tyler Johnson in the slot. 
uh, or they could run stack formations where all three of them are, you know, trip, trips right. I mean, there's so many snaps in a football game. There's only usually between 60 and 70 a game on each side of the ball. So you want to get as many of your good players out there as possible, but you got to find places for them. So I don't think Godwin's going to stop playing the slot. He was too good last year. He had almost 600 yards after the catch a year ago, and like by comparison, Mike Evans had about 250. Uh, he led him in touchdowns, led him in catches, led him in yards. Um, his drop percentage was less than 1% of the balls thrown to him, targeted him, were dropped. Mike Evans was almost 6% were dropped so you know he's such a good player that i would not mess with a good thing i think he's probably going to play more slot than outside but you have flexibility with those guys so a lot will be on tyler johnson how fast he can pick up the offense that sort of thing but tyler johnson's a baller now he's really really good i i think they got they found a a nice receiver in in, in that spot all right ellis asked do you think todd bowles stays after this season if the defense continues to build on the momentum of last year well, he has a three-year contract. Now, you know, they're talking about uh, Rooney rules and, and adopt, adopting some of that. Um, you know, they, they, they definitely want minority hires. And I'm here to tell you that, you know, Bruce Arians has three coordinators that are all African-American and all of them uh, are capable of being a head coach. One of them already has in Bowles with the New York Jets. So, you know, I think Bowles should get another shot at being a head coach. I'm not an owner. I don't know what people think of him. But if he turns this defense around and this team goes to the Super Bowl, those are the coordinators that get hired as head coaches. So all I know is he's got a three-year deal. A lot of the assistants had two-year deals. He got three because he had leverage, and he's really, really good. I think it was the Bears maybe that he was talking to at the time. Um, you know, So clearly, if, if somebody's interested, he's going to go interview and I and I would be interested in Todd Bowles because I just think he's a hell of a coach, not the greatest you know on the podium necessarily, um, but the players love him, they respect him, and he knows a heck of a lot about football. I, I don't know if he's back or not. I mean, these these things are hard to predict. I if I if you ask me, Todd Bowles or Byron Leftwich, which one's likely to be gone after this year as a head coach? I would say Byron Leftwich, because I think there's I think there's a a, a big need or a preference, I should say, to hire offensive-minded coaches, especially if they've got young quarterbacks, which is the most important position, um, as opposed to a defensive-minded guy. It just seems to me that they're looking for somebody who's capable of of saying, here I come, this is my offense, I can call it if I need to, um, you know, and I've got this quarterback. I'll take care of him. So my guess is Leftwich being young and, and kind of a riser, Bowles having fallen since his Jets days a little bit. Uh, if if I had to guess, maybe Leftwich will you know will get an opportunity before Bowles will again. But nothing is guaranteed because, again, trust me, if they go deep into the playoffs, they make the playoffs go deep and even go to the Super Bowl. That's going to mean that defense did a you know one eighty um, this time a year ago, and they're going to be all over Todd Bowles. So don't rule it out, but I, I think that it's probably more likely Byron Leftwich were to get it because. Again, Brady's going to make any offense look really, really good. And they were pretty good last year with Jameis Winston. All right, Les asks, Week one of the 2022 NFL season, who is more likely to be a starting quarterback, Tom Brady or Jameis Winston? 2021? 2022. So his contract with the Bucs would be up already. 
Oh, I would say Jameis Winston. And I and I put and it's probably sacrilege, and I will I will ask for forgiveness later. But to 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 suggest, for example, that Tom Brady wouldn't or shouldn't or couldn't play until he was forty five, that seems to be his goal. But he only has a two year deal, you know, mm-hmm. and he would be heading into that season forty five years old, which I mean it's hard to think about, right? This guy's going to be forty five, and you are going to play him. Um, and I, I think Jameis Winston, don't know if he's going to play in New Orleans. I think it'll help him whether he does or not. Certainly if he plays, it could potentially help him or hurt him. Um, but, but he's so young and he has pedigree and he's done some things in this league that, you know, every year is different. And you don't know how many quarterbacks are going to be drafted and all that stuff. And there were a bunch of them drafted this year. But, man, that position, you know, Two three years ago, Mike Glennon was the hot name and got a job for you know eighteen million dollars uh, in Chicago. And you know this year, you had people you know that you'd never expected, like Brady, like Philip Rivers, right? And Teddy Bridgewater got sixty two million dollars. So you just don't know. Um, but I would I would say that Winston. We're talking about two years from now. I would say Winston would have a shot at being a starter, probably more so than a 45-year-old Brady. All right, Craig asks, With so many teams getting new stadiums, and many of them domes, can you see soon a dome stadium for the Bucks, or one renovated like Dolphins Stadium to give more shade? Half of the NFC South has domes. Are the Bucks next? Really? I thought everybody threw enough shade at the Bucks. Um <laughs> here's, what, here's what I think about stadiums. Right now, in this environment, they're unfinanceable. Look at the need right now in this community. Coronavirus, unemployment, especially Florida, is going to be hit very hard with the service industry, medical, all that. It, it just, I don't know when we're coming back. So, okay, they can't, you know, we documented just a minute ago they lost 25, could lose $25 million in me and you. Um, they've sunk $160 million into the stadium. It's good enough to host a Super Bowl this year. And, I mean, they've done nice things to it. But it is at that age where they tear down stadiums like the Georgia Dome. It's over 20 years old. So, I mean, it's inevitable that they're going to want something sometime. I just don't think it's anytime soon because the climate's bad for it. And, and not the hot, not the heat, but the actual financing. What I think about it, though, is when they do a new stadium, and it, it is a win, not if, I think that, what you'll have is a smaller ballpark. I think the NFL is going to do what baseball did a few years ago and actually shrink the capacity. They recognize it's a TV game. Who knows what the world's going to look like after coronavirus, whether we're ever going to see people piled on top of each other the way they do in these big stadiums. Um, and, you know, I I don't know if it'd be a dome. You do need to protect the fans. I think it's brutally hot in September, October even. And... They've looked into what the Dolphins did with respect to sort of these awnings, you know, um, extend, expanding those over the seating, and they work. It on Raymond James, it doesn't make sense. It, I guess it's just not. It's kind of cost prohibitive on a on a older stadium. You could do it. You could do it right now, but they looked into it and decided no, it wasn't worth their money. So if they build a new one, eh, yeah, you could do that. The, what I if you weren't going to go for a retractable roof, which is incredibly expensive just because of of that, right? What I liked 
and I thought it would work here, uh, is U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota, which is a closed enclosed stadium, but it's made of glass, basically. And the sun beams through it, and you can see outside, and you, it doesn't have that mausoleum-type you know, feeling of a, of a dome. It just doesn't. Um, so, you know, I don't know, maybe they put the hole in the roof like Atlanta. I, I don't know, but I think there's a number of things you could do short of making it retractable or putting those awnings up and, you know, we'll see, we'll see. you know, I, I think we're way down the road. And again, the shelf life of these have been just a little over 20 years. This one opened in 98. So we're definitely there, but let's look at the climate and what the Glazers have sunk into it. And it's still a very functional stadium, at least good enough for a Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I I don't see one coming on the horizon. All right, Milo asks, if there are no fans in the stands, how will that affect the betting lines on NFL games? Will the home field advantage be completely eliminated? Gosh, I wish I knew. Um, I'll bet you. (laughs) I would certainly make some money if I knew that answer. I would assume if there's no crowd, right, and, you know, the old adage of, well, you know, the home team is worth three points, so if it's a, a three-point game, they're basically saying it's even if the visitors are favored. I, I would imagine that the home field advantage would be negated some in the Betor's eyes, you know, like, okay, maybe you don't get every call because the crowd's going crazy. and you know, Unless they're piping crowd are, noise into the stadium. Right, but are you gonna, will, can but... you pipe in the booze? <laughs> sure, why <laughs> I mean, not? So the official makes a bad call, and then the, the Tampa fan, and then he changes his mind. So seriously, begging is part of is you know how many times have you seen a receiver get pulled down, flop like he's an English soccer player, and then the crowd goes nuts, and like ten minutes later, the the back judge reaches into his pocket and slowly drops the yellow flag, and you and the crowd's like yeah, and they go nuts. Those guys are influenced by it. Where wouldn't they be? So, you know, I don't know how it's going to affect the bet. The betting lines is that? I mean, really? I mean, I don't think it's going to be as big a home field advantage. But look, I mean, you're waking up in the in your in your own city. You haven't traveled, so you still you still kind of have a home field advantage, whether there's fans there or not. And for Tampa Bay, what home field advantage did they ever have? I mean, this year maybe, but like. Let's be honest. Every team that came in here dominated the lower bowl, and it felt like a home, a road game anyway. What if there's like fifteen thousand fans in the stands? Where they socially distance them, you have some home field, but not enough to make it but loud. Where it's not going to be know. as loud as sixty five thousand screaming, but yeah, but you yeah. are gonna you know they are gonna be able to boo the officials if they think yeah. a call was blown or. It's still home field. You didn't have to get on a plane. You didn't right, have to get there right. a day early. Yeah, I, I, there's still an advantage to playing at home. You you know the wind currents. You know if yeah. you're a field goal kicker, unless you're Matt Gay. Um, you know you. Uh, you know I mean th- there are advantages to being to to knowing the grass, the turf, though. I mean everything like that. Mm-hmm. So I just don't know how. I don't know that it's more without fans. Like how? What are fans worth in a home field advantage? You know spread. I, I that's hard to. To me, it's hard to quantify. It just is. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think it's big if you're. Let's put it this way: if you're a team that plays in, you know, sold-out stadiums like Dallas, you know, or I don't know, um, maybe Baltimore, like places like that. That's a huge advantage when you play 
in those in those uh, those stadiums to the home team. Could there could there almost be a home field disadvantage now because normally when you're home you're used to that and now you don't have that. Does it, it might be affect weird, the betting yeah. lines the reverse? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Could be an eerie thing. I well, Carl asked after watching the last dance. I saw some similarities with Phil Jackson and Joe Madden. What other coaches or managers out there have you noticed with similar styles in the four major sports or even in college? I got one, and it turns out he's the oldest coach in the NFL, which is interesting, right, because those two gentlemen are up there in age a little bit. Um, I'm going to go Pete Carroll, and it sounds weird because Pete Carroll was in the NFL a million years ago, and, again, you don't necessarily think of him, um, you know, since cause since he's older in years. But, I mean, with the Seattle Seahawks in particular, he's the guy that started competition Thursdays where they play basketball, they do everything. Um, you know, he, he, he's the guy that, you know, has music, you know, was playing music during, during practices and, and things like that. He's just really progressive and really cool to play for. And, you know, looks at the game sometimes different, which is weird because he's old school. I mean, this is a guy that's, you know, coached with everybody, um, from Monty Kiffin and you name it. But, you know, I, I like, I like Pete Carroll in that instance, and uh, you know he kind of reminds me of Madden a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the similarity I think see between Phil and Joe, and, and I think Pete too, is that they they're not afraid to try different things to get through to their players, right? And to right. keep it loose and and, and entertaining, mm-hmm. and to, so that it's not the same thing over and over. I mean, you know. I know Evan Longoria sometimes would roll his eyes when the Penguins would be in the locker room and all that, but it was mm-hmm. it was about keeping it loose and, and finding ways to reach players. And I, I think you know Joe was and very, taking very the good. pressure off of mm-hmm. them, taking the pressure yes. and putting the spotlight on themselves to kind of remove it from their players. Mm-hmm. Um, one I thought of, and, and you know, being a fan too, but is Jim Harbaugh, and I don't think he coaches the same way as Phil and Joe in that, right? But, He's willing to do things differently and try things and, you know, trips overseas and sleeping at a recruit's house and, and kind of putting the spotlight Very on him away off yeah. the players. and anti- Yeah, just kind of mm-hmm. trying to find different ways to get through to players and to right. affect them and keep them engaged. Um, it's not quite the same. And his coaching style is very different than Phil and Joe. Um, yeah. But just kind of does it a different way and, and is willing to put the spotlight on them some, although Phil wasn't necessarily that way. Uh, Joe was definitely put the spotlight on me, take it off the pressure off the players. He'd deflect um, blame. He'll deflect yeah, to himself. Yeah. yeah, he'll take it off those guys and put it right on his right. shoulders. Phil Jackson didn't have to do that because he had Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. <laughs> never so lost. You didn't. You didn't have to <laughs> deflect the. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this was my fault. Well, maybe the six games they lost was Phil's fault. I mean, you might say, "Hey, guys, I screwed this up." You know, I mean, no, I mean, what, Phil, what Phil did very well is take the heat off of when Dennis Rodman would skip practice and be gone during the playoffs and. You know the way right. he would He'd stand up there and answer and the, the questions. He would answer yeah. it and and not defend Dennis, but it wasn't Dennis wasn't necessarily in trouble. It was Dennis being Dennis, and I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. manage him and coach him and make sure that he's ready for game time. I'm not worried about a practice today because I know right. Dennis, and and you know he's built up enough trust with with you that you can do that. And and that was kind of the deal when you signed him too. So. All right. Well, we got two good examples for you there. It was a hard question, but yeah, Carol and uh, and Jim Harbaugh. I, I like that. You don't think Bill Belichick's like them? No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> but but I would say this that like there are coaches that are like each other, and I would put and these guys coach together like Belichick and Saban to me are the same guy. 
Yes. And, 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 and I'll throw one more in there, like on that line. Different cat. I mean, different personality, but um, I really think Urban Meyer was that guy. Yeah. You wouldn't think that, but I mean, you know, kind of a, kind of a hard ass, kind of a, you know, um, a little bit of an innovator, but protective of his players. The style of play was very different, but the type very of coach, different. yes, yes, and personality and, and the personality, way they ran their yeah. programs, absolutely. And I, I think those are three of the best coaches you'll ever find. They're all winners, yeah, that's right. Good question. So, uh, by the way, if you haven't had enough Tom Brady, we got more for you this weekend. That's right. So it's Tiger and uh, Peyton Manning, uh, a Tom Brady tormentor, uh, against uh, Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson. So, you know, that's uh, those, those are those are two rivalries mixed up pretty good here. And I would I would take I would take I'm going to take Brady and Mickelson because it's a um, it's a match play format, which means you could you could shoot a ten on a hole and it doesn't count except that you lost that hole. They're not it's not they're not counting strokes here. Mm-hmm. So, and and don't think here here's the other thing like there's no way for example that somebody who's as bad at golf as I am, or most people for that matter, would have just the sheer guts to stand on a tee box with Tiger and Phil watching, right? Like, it'd be embarrassing. I'd duck hook one. There better not be anybody there because they're going to get it uh, between the eyes. So you take you take the poise and the confidence that guys like Manning and Brady must have just to play with those guys, right? How many how many golf balls you got, Ben? I would, I would not have enough. Um, and then they're going to go play, and they're going to compete like hell. And they both are going to want to win now. These are two of the most competitive human beings on the planet. So don't think they don't take this seriously. There'll be some laughs and a lot of trash talking, but um, count on it. They want to win. It's for charity. It's for uh, COVID uh, relief. And um, we'll see how that turns out. But that that's going to be, in my mind, that's going to be good television. So... Look forward to that. And then on, on Sunday, I want you guys to check out the Tampa Bay Times. We're going to talk about this probably on uh, Memorial Day um, on Monday. But I did a story on Chris Godwin. You know, a lot of people have been doing things for COVID relief and, and whatnot. But Chris Godwin's grandmother, um, COVID has touched his family. She's 89 years old. She's going to be 90 years old. She, uh, you know, contracted this virus and is out of the hospital and is back home in Delaware. It's an unbelievable um, story for him. But he took he, he was inspired by this because, again, when, it, when this touches your family, you have a different perspective. And so he did this uh, video on Twitter uh, where he talked about his grandmother and he talked about how this has affected him personally. And he wanted people to respond to him uh, and I am him about their heroes, you know, whether that was, uh, you know, frontline people or people in the medical industry or EMTs uh, or even food workers, whomever is out there, you know, trying to help put this country back together and and take care of the sick and dying. He wanted to hear from those people um, who had heroes like that. And the responses were remarkable. Um, There's some really funny ones. There's some, there's some tragic ones, but Chris um, through all of this would respond um, when these people would, would share their stories. And a lot of these people had a lot of courage just, you know, putting themselves out there and sharing. And then he uh, managed uh, to have some kind of gift for them, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, food cards from Publix or PDQ or uh, gift shops from NFL shops. Uh, and, and he wound up 
in many cases, uh, sending them autographed footballs and personalized letters. And these people were so moved, and their stories are so good, that um, I've got a, I got a bunch of vignettes, probably four or five of them, uh, that talk about this event and Chris and, you know, just how, how cool it was to actually interact with him on Twitter and, um, you know, get to know him a little bit. So look forward to that on Sunday. We'll talk about that on Money's podcast. And remember, um, have a good Memorial Day. Be safe. Uh, remember what the Memorial Day is for, right? All the people that made the sacrifice and, and uh, died for the, for the cause of freedom. So that's really, it's a solemn type holiday, but we want you guys to, you know, to observe that. And uh, we appreciate everybody that's uh, out there, you know, serving us now. And there's plenty of people that, uh, uh, that, that make that sacrifice every day. So we appreciate you. We want you to know that and uh, be safe. And we'll talk to you guys on Monday. For Steve Erstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great and a safe weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 